I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sheila Shoiga, and welcome to Ready to be Real Conversations podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort or simply entertain you. This week I chat to someone I've been looking forward to sitting down with for ages. Comedian, TV and radio broadcaster and now meditation teacher, Dermot Whelan. I got a a lovely message from a guy thanking me for the 16 second meditation. For him, he had said the biggest change it had made to him was that he was singing in the shower again. You know, that may sound like a small trivial thing, but for him, that was a representative representation of how he felt himself. Yeah. That he knew that if he was singing in the shower, he's a happy go lucky guy and that's his normal. And suddenly he had realized that through the weight of lockdown and financial strain and, you know, loss of his job, he had stopped singing in the shower. Mm. And it was very upsetting for him because he felt like he was losing contact with himself. But he had heard me blathering on about the 16 second meditation. So we thought, your man seems all right. So I'll try the six. It's only 16 seconds. seconds. Yeah. So we started doing it and he did it for two weeks and he contacted me the day that he had started singing in the shower again because he just caught himself and he went, oh my God, I'm singing in the shower again. And his whole relationship with his kids and his wife and everything changed. As he said, his kids noticed that he was happier. Um, you know, so I, I really hope that people and men in particular realize that it does take very little 
to have a really positive change, you know, because they're the small things in our lives that we see as markers that show us who we really are and uh, us at our best. And sometimes those things can disappear over time, you know, with kids and jobs and all those things. One by one, the stuff, the little things that we used to do can disappear and we can lose contact with ourselves. So it can just take something small to reintroduce yourself to yourself Mm. and suddenly you could be singing in the shower again and that ripple effect goes out into all the people around you you know it goes into your work as well and what version of you turns up at that so um, it is reassuring to know that it doesn't take too much. Dermot has been meditating for many years but now having trained as a teacher he's passionate about breaking through some of the misconceptions people have about meditation to help bring it to a wider audience. He's married to Karina, they have three kids and they live in Dublin. His colleague and friend is the equally brilliant Dave Moore, who he's worked with for the past 18 years on award-winning radio show Dermot and Dave. And in this conversation, we talk about many things. His lessons from lockdown, his newfound love of skateboarding, the importance of taking time out for yourself. And he also guides us through a short but effective breathing exercise, which I loved and I think you will too. He is really funny deep and simply gorgeous company. I completely lost track of time during this chat, which is always a great sign. Here it is. All right. How are you getting on? Um, great. You, it's been business as usual for you the last few months. Yes, I have been going in and out of the radio studios at Today FM since it all started. I'm an essential worker, just in case you didn't know. Um, but yeah, we we kept we're going in. Some presenters in the station are still broadcasting from home. Um, but because we're a double header, myself and Dave, we tried it once and it was appalling. So oh, we, really, yeah, um, it was a big delay on his side. And just <laughs> I was in hysterics <laughs> for the whole show because <laughs> he was just like five seconds late to everything. As um, in reacting to you. Yeah. So there'd be a big <laughs> silence. And then uh, what? <laughs> so I, We knocked some crack out of it, but you couldn't make it funny, you know, for three months. Yeah. So uh, we decided it was easier to do it in the studio. So it was a kind of a skeleton crew um, and people are slowly starting to trickle back in. Um, but it's weird because you get all defensive about your world. It's a bit like The Walking Dead, you know, when an, when an outsider from another community comes to the gate and they're all like, loading their guns. <laughs> What's your name? What do you want? That's what we're like, leaning out the windows of the radio station. Just back up there, fella. <laughs> um, so we're all suspicious of the uh, the new people, but we're welcoming them, them back in slowly. It's yeah. funny that you have that perspective because I think a lot of people getting back into like in inverted commas normality are kind of then anxious about, oh, I've been kind of hanging out at home for the past few months. And like juggling away from home doing that. Now I'm going back into like and there's a sense of apprehension about it. I I was even apprehensive coming back into the studio today because I haven't been here since, you know, a few days before the mm. uh, the measures kicked in. It You know, it's only been a few months, but it feels like a lot has happened in that time. Yeah, I think people are genuinely anxious about interacting, you know, in the community if they've been isolated for a long time, you know, and touching door handles and and even if, you know, even if the logical part of your brain is going, come on now, you know, get on with it now, you have things to be doing, you know, the, you're, there's a part of you that is still not OK with it, you know, and a lot of people are finding that a little bit tricky. And I suppose if if anybody listening is, um, you know, to be go easy on yourself because everybody's feeling it, you know. Yeah. How yeah. about you? Are you fearful at all about it? Um, I suppose I've just the fact that I've been getting up and going out and facing it every day, you know, um, I I suppose I don't 
I don't really. Uh, I, 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 I'm just kind of used to it now at this point. Mm. I, I don't tend to worry about the the catching its side of it, but you know, maybe I should. But I suppose we're in a we're in a better place now. And I, I don't think it's a case of, of should. I think it's everybody is is finding mm. their own way with that. And I think it's probably healthier if you're not living in that fearful state because you probably find it when you're in a supermarket. I certainly found it at the beginning, and I had it a bit myself as well. In those early weeks when I became quite obsessed with news, I was feeling quite nervy mm. when I was out interacting in shops or whatever. Yeah. I mean, my hands were red raw at the beginning. The skin was cracking. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. was washing them so vigorously all the time because we were told and that's what you were doing. That's because Joe Duffy was shouting at you to do it the whole time. <laughs> five one five five one, wash your hands. And it's it's now over three months just become five one five five, wash your hands. <laughs> it's like those lads who sell the newspapers down in Cork, you know. Wake up, where you go? The hurdle plates. They don't even. You can't even tell what they're shouting anymore. Five one five five one, wash your hands. Um, so yeah, so the whole nation was. Was listening to Joe Duffy and washing, <laughs> scrubbing the skin off their hands. The supermarket definitely, I think, I do feel un- uneasy in there. Thankfully, my wife does most of the okay. supermarket trips, so she's kind of used to it. But I, I noticed that when I was walking around the supermarket, I was barely breathing. All right. <laughs> I was breathing like really shallowly in case, I, like subconsciously, in case I just sucked in a virus, you know. So I realized I was going, <laughs> like some kind of guinea pig, you know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I, I, it, you know, it does have an effect on you in, in strange ways. And, and, I, and I got the bus, actually, which obviously a lot of people aren't getting public transport at the moment. And I discovered that it's actually quite hard to navigate a moving bus while not grabbing onto anything because <laughs> you tend to use your face as a brake, yeah. you know, because <laughs> normally, you know, bus drivers take a certain amount of joy in jolting yeah, yeah. the bus from side to side. So that particularly if you're in the stairwell, you just come flying down like a human missile. <laughs> um, but I noticed that if you're if you're conscious about grabbing onto the, the bars or the tops of the seats, mm-hmm. you tend to sort of put your hands in your pockets and sure then you're off balance. <laughs> As soon as he goes around a corner, you're falling into people. So it kind of defeats the purpose. But yeah, I, I did find the bus slightly challenging. The dart seems to be far more for anyone listening who lives in Dublin, obviously will know the dart. Um, that seems to be far more um, wild, like there's okay. lawless, if you put yeah, it that yeah, way. Because yeah. the, the rule at the moment still is that if there's a four seater, you're only allowed to sit in one. Oh, yeah, of so course. That's it. And then there's like don't sit here signs on all the other seats. So either people are completely ignoring the signs or just ripping them off and then sitting I down. I getcha, yeah. Which, of course, you know, the virus will not, will not affect you as long as you rip <laughs> off a sign. <laughs> it knows. <laughs> um, but yeah, people, uh, people on public transport don't seem to care that much. Yeah, I've only just started recently wearing the mask. Obviously, now with all the advice and 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 all that, I get I get it. I'm on board now. I'm on board. Um, and so what if it's a bit uncomfortable, a bit weird? But I was interested to hear different people's takes on it. What is yours? On the mask? Yeah. Um, I definitely am up for wearing them on public transport. And I, I was wearing my mask on the dart, yeah. although it was made by a listener uh, who sent it in and it's made out of a bra. So, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it doesn't look like a bra, but it or maybe it slightly does. It, it's black it? anyway. So I had it on. <laughs> But there's just uh, the, there's a large part of me just keeps saying in my head, 
your face is in a bra. <laughs> <laughs> it just won't allow it become a mask. I have so many questions. I mean, is this a bra that like, was this her own bra? Did, was, I, you was know it what? Like, I, did, I didn't ask. Did, no, was it put on the washing machine? Do you know what I mean? She like, was a designer who, who started oh, to do this as a okay. sideline, you know, um, <laughs> okay. to give something back or whatever. I was just so. thinking it was her own personal gift to you. A little bit I'm, of her with you. I'm just hoping it was. <laughs> <laughs> or that at least it went in at a hot wash. You know, that's all I ask. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. I need a photo. Um, right. OK, so it's been it's been pretty much um, business as usual, other than the fact that you were telling me that you decided to take up skateboarding in this time. I did. Um, and I noticed Shakira did the same thing. Well, you and Shakira, <laughs> twinsies. Yeah, like she stopped copying me. <laughs> now she's wearing a bra on her face. You know, where will it end? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, it was by accident. It was bef- just before lockdown. I had taken my son in to get him a skateboard. And while I was in there, I was like, you know what? I, I've always wanted a skateboard. And I had this memory of being in a skateboard shop with my parents when I was about his age. And I don't know what was going on in my head, but I remember them saying, do you want a skateboard or not? You have to make up your mind. And eventually I felt under pressure and just went, no. And then I never got a skateboard. So while I was in the shop, I decided, do you know what? I'm I'm going to have a go at this. Because uh, then I thought it could be a nice thing to do with my son if he's willing to be seen with me in public doing this. So I just started getting into it. And of course, then lockdown happened and town was absolutely deserted. And I was in here every day. So I decided, well, I just use the empty streets. So I remember one day just cruising down Grafton Street in rush hour on my skateboard and I was the only person there. Wow. Um, and it was really eerie and strange, but but kind of cool. So I had the whole essentially a, a giant skate park for the last while. Yeah. And I'm just I'm not doing any tricks. I'm not doing ollies or anything, you know, um, tricky at all. I'm I, they're long boards. They're like for, for cruising and going down hills and things. It must have felt like you were kind of in a movie set then with it being so deserted. Yeah, it was it was very strange. Like it was so empty that I I was skating past Leinster House and there's always a guard there. Yeah. And he goes, here, here. And, and <laughs> pulled me over um, on my skateboard. I said, you can't be skating on the footpath. Go out on the road. <laughs> so normally I would be like, no way. But there was no traffic. So I just went out into the middle of the Did road. Did he actually say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get out on yeah. the road. So I might just chat about you and Dave for a while. Sure. Because obviously you guys are not just, you know, co-workers, but really good friends. Yeah. And then whenever I've been on the show with you guys, you've always made me feel really, really welcome. And it was interesting what you were saying about the fact that when you were not together, that it didn't work because it feels like when you when I watch you working and doing your thing, it's a lot of it is very instinctual with you. It's like you can read each other's minds at this stage. You know what's going on because you know each other so, so well. Yeah, it's completely that. There is a kind of a, a psychic level of knowledge now between us. And I know by the way he moves his finger slightly that he's going to ask a question or he wants to move to play a piece of audio or if I open my mouth slightly, he knows that I want to come in, you know, so you do read each other's body language all the time, you mm. know. Um, but of course, yeah, we're we're best mates at this point. We wouldn't still be together like we we were put together in 2002. And you were put together. 
somebody yeah. decided let's put these two people and see if they can make a, a radio show. Yeah, and this is not normal. This is not how radio shows, particularly breakfast shows, which are the big show, are put together. So we were, I was in 98 FM at the time. He was a music producer and he was just doing voiceovers and, and impressions and things like that. Um, and then we were put in a room together. There was some producer, a kind of wacky producer brought in who put us in a room together, literally like a play date, like a bad play date, <laughs> you know, where your mother would drag you to her friend's house and they had a son or a daughter and you had to sort of go in there now and play with Sheila. She's great. She loves toys as well. <laughs> it, was a, it was a bit like that. Um, so it was it instant. Did you go? I like this fella. He's cool. We kind of sized each other up and then he did an Alan Partridge impression, which impressed me because I'm an Alan Partridge fan and so is he. So yeah. then we kind of bonded over that. And then someone stuck their head in the door and went, how are you getting on? <laughs> and we went, great. And they went, OK, we'll be back in a while. And how um, quickly then, like, were you on radio together? We were on air then about maybe two or three weeks later. And that's the thing, I suppose, with the two of you, you know, starting out together like that and staying together. It's now something that is, you know, you're you're you go far beyond the radio show. You're good friends, really good friends. Yeah, you think you have to be. You you can only cover up that for so long. And I think that's one of the reasons why particularly breakfast shows tend to break up after a while, particularly if there's two two people. Sometimes if there's a third, it kind of dilutes it a bit and makes it less intense. Um, but you see a lot of duo. I don't know any other Irish radio duos, actually. I don't remember any um, that have have had any kind of longevity, you know, mm. um, and I think you have to you have to be friends. You have to like each other or, you know, because it tests you, you know, you know yourself from working in media so long. It's a pressured environment, particularly live stuff that you've done. You know, you you it, you it will bring out the worst in you. So the other mm. person has to be able to cope with that, you know. Um, so yeah I think definitely we've managed to survive plus we don't tend to see a huge amount of each other outside of work Do you know? which also helps and Dave never drank alcohol in his life so we that has also helped as in he, he still has never drunk alcohol <clears throat> no he's never had it he just never did okay. he just never started um, so that's cool but that is kind of unusual it is unusual yeah and obviously a lot of Irish people hear that and then they go I don't trust him. He's a spy. <laughs> <laughs> he's just taking notes on all our badness when we're drunk and then he's going to tell the leader. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he never has, which has many advantages. One, you, we never go out. We never have gone out together, got really drunk and told each other what we actually think of each other. <laughs> and the other thing is that he's never been hung over. So he's always on time. Yeah. So he's always been this rock of, you know, he's punctual. He's there. Whereas... Yeah. Um, you know, I would have been a bit more of a roller coaster in years gone past. So <laughs> <laughs> I needed him there uh, and that's steadying the, the ship. It is years gone past, though, because you have I take it. Do you drink anymore at all or just the odd time? Uh, the odd time. Not much. No, like I think one of the things I'm very glad about is that I didn't drink through any of the lockdown stuff. And I heard that just anecdotally from people that. It was kind of getting in on them a little bit, you know, and I think alcohol can amplify stuff that you're possibly dealing with, you know, and mm. I know there's a quote from Fiona Brennan in her book, The Positive Habit. And she says, you know, the, the, if you suffer from anxiety, the cruelest thing you can do to yourself is drink alcohol, you know, um, because it just like that, it, it amplifies any 
anxious thoughts you might be having and people are a little extra anxious at the moment or have been over the last few months. So I'm glad that I didn't do that. In fact, the, the last time it, it's June now. So the last drink I had was on the 12th of January at a monster racing match in Paris. Um, so I, okay. I, I think I had enough that day to get me through <laughs> the next six months. Oh, so it was like it wasn't just like you had a beer. No, I had I, I, I would tend to maybe <laughs> pick an occasion that yeah, I'll kind of yeah, let yeah. my hair down a little bit. Some of your listeners might be able to, uh, you know, um, relate to the fact that wh- as you're getting older, your your tolerance for alcohol drops, and that's not just the amount of dr- you drink, but it's also your emotional tolerance. And I found that once I kind of get into my late thirties that the emotional wrecking ball that would come after, you know, too much alcohol was just not worth the hassle. It was, yeah. it would, it just starts to get in on you a bit more. And after a while you go, well, actually the low is way stronger than the, any high I'm getting from it. So I'm, I'm actually not getting a good deal here, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. for a few pints one night and then three days of misery after it. It's just not worth it. Yeah, so totally get it. I and think I just kind of phased it out a lot. Yeah, I think a lot of people as well who have to get up in the morning. So even at the weekend, most people, you know, they're not working necessarily. But if you have kids, you're going to be up early. Yeah. You know, you, they're yeah. up, it's particularly if they're young, young. So like with us, our little boy is nearly three and he's doesn't doesn't matter this weekend. He's going to be up. So what, what we find is because we, we don't really drink a huge amount either in our house, purely because What's the point? We want to be able to enjoy the weekend with them. Mm. And where it did happen, and this is where I'm a complete lightweight. I think one night I had like one G&T and maybe, was it a few beers or something? And I wasn't right till about three o'clock the next day. And then it was the guilt because I felt like I wasn't present with my little man. I was like, it's just not worth it. Do you I know, know what I mean? It's like that awful ad that they, they yeah, had on the radio. Here, totally. With the, oh God, I'm yeah. wrecked. <laughs> and then the yeah. kids are like, yeah, let's go to the park. And they're like, oh God, definitely drinking less next time. And yeah, it's yeah. just it's so, it's such a guilt feeling ad. It is. And I, I've probably, I feel like that the last thing I want to do is to guilt anyone listening to this. Like everybody has to do what's right for them. And mm. I totally get it. Like literally in the first two weeks of lockdown, it was Christmas. I was having plenty of glasses of wine and thinking this is mighty altogether, you know. And a part of it, I suppose, when I look at it a bit deeper, probably was a little bit of the fear of the unknown and it was a coping thing. Mm. Uh, but then I kind of had to, went, I have to rein this in. This can't really go on because it just it, it, it's the knock on effect it has, I suppose, on the following day or days or whatever. So uh, I kind of feel like I have a balance now, but I'm not going to not drink for the rest of my days because I enjoy it. But I just it's about the amount of it, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, and as, as you say, everybody's different and I'm certainly not anti-alcohol. Yeah, you know, sure. I, I'm quite yeah. anti-alcohol for me because I know that it, it, it has a quite a negative impact on me and it starts to create feelings of guilt or shame and stuff that, that are a lot of the time very unjustified. You know, I think it can it can bring up thoughts negative. You know, if, you, if your inner voice is prone to a bit of negativity or, or perfectionism or your self-critic is a little bit... Uh, more active than maybe other people, alcohol will amplify that, will give it a louder voice, I think, you know. Mm. So it, it will give you these negative an- emotions, but they're not necessarily stuff that you know, it's, they're, the thoughts aren't necessarily right that I discovered, you know. And I did a while ago, I did not drink for a whole year. And, you know, one thing I learned as well is that we, on the flip side, we do tend to blame a lot on alcohol. You know, that uh, sometimes we can have this thought of, I certainly did, if I could just not drink for a year, I'd get 
everything done mm. everything I'd ever dreamed of I would accomplish you know because I, I haven't got this alcohol holding me back you know but you realise when when you remove the alcohol which is just like an anaesthetic it just kind of numbs you from whatever you don't want to feel once you remove that you're left with a lot of sort of emotions on the plate um, you're left with stuff that you, where normally you might your discomfort with those feelings might bubble up as a thought of think I'll get a bottle of wine tonight. You know, that that's that's the end result of the thinking process. But underneath, there's a few layers and yeah, it would be time. like there's stuff in my life I'm not too comfortable about or I don't think I'm handling stress terribly well at the moment or, you know, maybe I need to get more rest. All these thoughts are the unconscious ones you don't tend to hear. So, you know, it's it's not necessarily true that just quitting alcohol was suddenly turning to turn you into some kind of superhuman who's always in a good mood and leaping out of bed at 6 a.m. to go, mm. you know, sea swimming. It's It's not the reality. So I think and also I suppose if you do stop the drinking, then the stuff that you maybe you were trying to numb, as you were saying, or try to forget about for a period of time, that's then there for you to see. So maybe it's mm. an opportunity to look at it. And not everybody wants to do that or not everybody isn't comfortable enough to explore those things, you know, and sometimes it's, it's a lot of work. And and I know and I'm sure you're the same because, you know, you've delved into this. And when you start to examine yourself, your own behavior, it's it's not an easy path if you really do it. If you really decide I'm going to start to get to know mm. myself and and all the bits that I don't like about me, when you really start to examine all of that. It's it, it can be a it can be a tough, tough experience. It's yeah. really worthwhile. And uh, but it doesn't happen overnight. And no, even bringing yourself to that step is huge, isn't it? Yeah. And it does require a lot of self-kindness and it does require an awful lot of patience you know yeah. sometimes the tendency is we want to you know maybe you go right that's it no booze for the next month i'm going to fix myself this week you know you're no you're not it could take five years that's you know right. yeah just start with something small but i suppose the one thing i would say though about if there's anyone thinking you know what i might pull back on the booze for a while maybe you've been overindulging a little bit over lockdown and all that what it does allow you is the clear headedness to deal with stuff that maybe you have been ignoring. You know, if you think of it as a, like a, the cockpit of an airplane, mm. alcohol is a way of, of skewing all our, our little reading, our meters and stuff, you know. So when you do remove that, all your needles on the dashboard in front of you, they all kind of come back to a normal level. So you can start to approach things knowing that your your mind is as as clear and as as level as as possibly it's going to get for now yeah you know so sometimes i do think that you know we can be trying to tackle some personal issues that we have going on but because we have t alcohol sitting in there in our system it can just skew our thought process a little bit you know mm. and it just means that our own our own controls our own altimeters and things are a little bit off so i uh, I think for that reason, it's not going to turn you into a superhuman, but it will clear your head enough that you can start to look at yourself with a bit of of kindness. And uh, I suppose hope that you can um, overcome some challenges that maybe you're experiencing. Yeah. And kindness is so important because oftentimes when we do examine stuff about ourselves that we don't like, we can be really hard on ourselves and cruel, actually. Mm. So for me, for example, if people are saying, what are they talking about work with? So for me, like a big thing in my life before would have been like I was I was a real hoarder, but I couldn't see it. Um, and I couldn't see and like I, You know, people are probably visualizing you know, those crazy programs now. America's worst hoarder. I'm not that extreme, but still holding on to stuff. Yeah, that I didn't need. 
right? Um, just clothes and things, objects. And I would have a sentimental connection to it that really wasn't that sentimental at all. And it was just this fear of letting go. And, uh, and when I really started to examine it and what that's saying and what it's about, God, it was huge for me. Um, and it was amazing that through, I suppose, through, through uh, working through it and, and yoga and different things that I've, I've applied really helped me to recognize the behavior and go, this is not just about holding on to that jumper. Mm. for 10 years. Do you know what I mean? It's something else. What's going on behind that and examine it. And, you know, there were tears that were shed and it was tough, but being nice to myself through it was very helpful because all I used to do before that was say how awful I was. And I'm this and I'm Jack, I'm just, I'm a whore. I can't let go of anything. What's wrong with me? Negative, negative, negative. But when I start to flip it into the, as you said, just kindness, it's, it does transform. Yeah. Your behavior. Yeah. I mean, if I think if you imagine how, you know, if you're a 12 year old, if you had a, a child who was going through this mm. or some, something similar, you know, you wouldn't start eating the head off them. You exactly, know, you'd, yeah. you'd approach them with patience and love and kindness and support. But we don't tend to talk that way yeah. to ourselves. You know, certainly for me, one of my big issues was is being too self-critical, you know, demanding perfectionism and sort of. Um, I used to call it my invisible scorekeeper uh, as if there was someone there sort of marking things off on a chart, but you know, of everything that I was doing, but there, there is no one keeping score. Like I had made the, I'd made it up, you know? Okay. And certainly when it came to alcohol, I really, you know, if, if I had been drinking, then afterwards I would be given out to myself and, Oh my God, I can't believe you went out. And why did you stay out so late? And, blah, blah, blah. and I realized actually that it was the, it was the beating myself up part was, was the, thing that I needed to to work on, not the drinking, because I think I, the reason I wanted to drink was to shut up that critical voice. So it was this sort of circle, you know, so when I actually began to be really kind to myself, if I had gone for a few drinks, then things started to ease and I mm. felt like I didn't really need to drink as much anymore. Do you get me? So yeah. it, it was it was the reverse of what I had thought, you know, so you know, self-criticism is definitely something that I, I feel I'm far more comfortable with at the moment that I don't. I think my self-talk is a lot more positive. And what that does is is it stops you putting like self-criticism is, is a is a roadblock that we put in front of ourselves. If you're a chronic self-critic will start to lash out at other people, you know, because when we get sick of giving out to ourselves, it's too uncomfortable. So we decide, you know what, I'm going to direct this at the nearest person to me or the people I work with or the people I live with or the people I love. Um, you know, I heard Robert Downey Jr. on a podcast recently and he had a great quote and he was saying being self-critical is important until it starts to bleed into the people around you and make everybody miserable. Mm. You know, so yeah. it's, it's not that we have to walk around skipping, you know, and saying, oh, look, you know, I haven't gone to work today. Well, I'll just fill myself full of love and kindness. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there are things we got to do, yeah, you know, yeah, and we yeah. like to do things well. And, you know, and keeping yourself in check and keeping an eye on, you know, your your ambition and your goals and all those things, you know, that's that's important. But it's not once it gets to a level where, as he says, it starts to bleed into the people around you, you know, then, you know, you need to take your foot off the gas a little bit and just try and find a mechanism like mindfulness or meditation, something which will give you the space to see and hear how you're speaking to yourself. Say, for example, a, you know, in a work situation, if I was doing a radio link with Dave and I 
had planned to do a joke and I fluffed the punchline and then we go into a song. In the olden days, I would have gone, oh my God, I can't believe I messed that up. Oh, idiot, idiot. I, remember, I used to call myself an idiot a lot. Okay. Um, actually, if you ever want to see how someone talks to themselves, go onto a golf course with them. You'll learn very quickly how their inner voice works because a golf course will amplify the, the inner voice. You know, you'll hear people shouting at themselves and flinging clubs over walls and idiot, oh my God. But so uh, what would happen in the radio scenario then was, I would be so annoyed with myself for that one small thing that then it would affect my performance for the rest of the show. Mm. I'd be miserable. You know, I'd be still thinking about that link. God you would be able to let it go. Yeah, then the next link I'd be probably maybe a little bit ratty, you know, and I, I would just be on edge and I would probably carry that feeling then through most of the day. You know? I've never met that Dermot ever like and I've been in I've been in the studio with you guys quite a few times down through the years yeah well I've I, never met that guy yeah I suppose because it's changed because I've turned down the yeah. volume and I don't he's that you know inner critic never goes away I don't think but you know because it has a purpose sometimes it keeps us alive and mm. you know makes sure that we don't do something so stupid that we die yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. but yeah um, yeah so I suppose from a home situation I know that when I started, it wasn't a case that my wife would say, oh, you know, oh, it's great you stop beating the children. <laughs> stop <laughs> you know, it's, not, it's not that. It's, it's more she would notice the positive things that, that I'm bringing to the table, you know, okay. in terms of, you know, wow, you just seem a lot more patience with, uh, patient with the kids. You seem to have a lot more time for them around bedtime. You know, if you're frazzled and you've been giving yourself a hard time all day, bedtime with your children is probably one of the toughest parts of the day because all you're thinking of is, I just want them to get to bed so I can put on Netflix and just zone out. You know, that, that I would be in a bit of a zoner outer, you know. Mm, mm. Um, so what, you know, what, what meditation and that kind of work helped me with is that it just turn down the volume on the self-critic long enough that I could then really enjoy the people around me who I love and I wanted to spend a bit more quality time. And I, we don't always get it right. Some days I come home and I'm, you know, it is a bit of a challenge to have the, you know, patience and all that kind of, and energy sure, and all sure, that kind of stuff. Sure. You know, we're a work in progress. But, you know, sometimes we use the phrase self-improvement and, and sometimes I have a, a bit of an issue with that because it kind of conjures up the idea that, we're all kind of broken and we just need to keep keep working on ourselves and keep improving when in fact we're already brilliant we're yeah. we're fantastic individuals the issue is just that we've put a lot of stuff in our way we do put little roadblocks in our way like you know the way we talk to ourselves are are taking on too much or you know we, once we start to remove obstacles you know we don't need improve we see that we don't need improvement it's all there mm -hmm. you know so for me, very much of the my experience with meditation and and that space in general has been just removing clutter, you know, just yeah. like you'd walk into your your home, you know, your, your sitting room at home. And once you start to get rid of the things much like you did, yeah, you know, you, you literally me. had physical things yeah. to, to remove. Yeah. Um, so once you can do that you start to enjoy your own space a lot more, you Big know, time. you like when you when you do clear out a room and you spruce it up, you love being in there. So it's the same with ourselves. We we love being with ourselves even more when we can remove some of that clutter that we we don't need anymore, because a lot of it's just patterns that we've and habits we've we've gotten into. You know, we can have the same 
you know, somebody tells you you're not good enough at age eight and you run that program just like a computer. You have that mm. software running for years and you actually don't even realize. So sometimes being able to drop something in a, a pattern interrupt using a tool like meditation just stops us long enough that we go, oh, wow, I didn't realize I thought that way. I can actually change that pretty easily, mm. you know. And I love the way you talk about meditation. Science is a language that people understand at the moment. So, you know, the, there's ways of approaching meditation. I can I can light scented candles and grow my hair and, you know, wear white linen every day and and try and do it that way. And I will attract a certain type of person. But I think science gets to more people and particularly men, you know, and I'm very passionate about getting men into meditation because we're generally last to the table on this kind of stuff. So uh, in terms of stress management in general. So science is just a language, I think, that that people understand and, and can relate to quicker. And there's room for it all. There's room for it all, because yeah, as, there you, is. as you said, like, you know, you know, there are many people that will really embrace a very holistic lifestyle and be the real deal, which is wonderful. And luckily, I'd say it's probably safe for both of us to say that we probably know a lot of them. But there are some people as well who might look the part, but might not be living it. Mm. And then you might meet somebody who you would never think that they would look like they're a meditator or whatever. and might be extremely in it and living a very good life, but might not be very showy about it. And I think that's what's interesting because those things are all just stuff. And while they might be a representation of what's, important to you and that's lovely and there's nothing wrong with that it's really just about connecting to yourself mm. and just getting to know yourself a bit better yeah and I think a lot of people meditate without even realizing it you know yes. certainly there's the meditation you can sit down and that I would be able to teach breathing techniques and you as well and the, all the stuff that you do through your yoga and everything um, and the meditation that you teach in your, your classes there's that but also for instance Dave who, my co-host he loves playing the guitar. Yeah. Um, and whether it's a bass guitar or electric guitar. So f for years, you know, and he still does. He, that's his meditation, although he does meditate on top of that. Um, but, yeah. you know, anything where we lose ourselves, you know, so like you on the skateboard. Exactly. Yeah, well, for me, yeah. that that is a form of meditation yeah. because, you know, meditation is anything that pulls you into the present moment and keeps you there for as long as possible and stops you worrying about the future or regretting the past. So when you're on a skateboard, you know, mildly out of control, it's very hard to start regretting your leaving cert or, you know, things we said to people two years ago are, are worrying about, you know, um, money next week because you're basically yeah. just trying to balance and, and keep yourself there. So and then also the eight year old you is smiling inside going, thanks. Yeah, thanks. You know, because you said it earlier and it was like, yeah, you, you didn't maybe have the confidence to tell your folks or whatever happened. You went, nah. And it was something that stayed with you. And yet you kind of fulfilled a childhood dream by getting the skateboard. So I suppose a big part for me when I go into meditation and go into it, that the power of play, it's so important to allow ourselves mm. to feel joy and happy and just do fun things. Yeah. You know? And yeah, that's one thing that I that I realized when I was skating was that playification of exercise um if i can make up that word i um, like it but uh, you know for me I, I realized that you know pounding it in the gym uh, kind of isn't my thing and i i, I used to find that i would get very depleted after a big workout i just was wrecked i'd have to go to bed after it mm. but if i was playing you know in in verticamas I didn't seem to get as tired it's like you open up an extra source of energy so whether it's a skateboard 
or if I'm playing golf or if I'm playing with a football, you know, those things are are fine. And I, I think sometimes the more we can playify our lives in small ways, the more we do tap into that feeling of ourselves and that essence of ourselves and that sort of lightness that we had as kids. Yeah. And it's so important because I think we do very quickly disconnect from that when life is is, you know, it is busy and we're mm. working and we're trying to earn a living and and look after kids and then you, you're trying to be the grown up. Yes, there has to be space and room for that for all of us. Yeah. Whatever it is. And I think actually by being a parent, it allows you to be a kid again through their eyes and by immersing mm. yourself in their activities as well. Um, that's what I'm finding anyway, with my little boy, that it's it's like, this is great. I'm getting to, you know, play and have fun yeah. and do things that I haven't done since I was a kid. So that's nice. I just wanted action figures. That's the only yeah. reason I had children <laughs> is to get action figures back in the house again. But daddy, I don't want any more. You're having Thor. Now put him in the bag. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, even if you look around at what's happening in neighborhoods all over the country at the moment and has happened over the last while, mm. you know, I looked out my driveway and I saw a pile of bicycles, you know, just thrown on this on the footpath and the kids were somewhere in the trees. You know, and I was thinking to myself, God, why have I not seen that? You know, and then I was seeing kids that I didn't even know lived in the estate walking around with my kids, you know, and they were climbing a tree that has been across the road from my house for as long as I've lived there, 10 years. And there was never a kid up that tree. Mm. But since the start of lockdown, it's been infested with kids hanging out of it. In fact, my own daughter fell out of the tree. And even though she hurt herself, she's OK. Yeah. You know, I, I found myself saying, I'm delighted she fell out of the tree. Because, you know, she just ha she as cruel as that sounds, but she hadn't shown an interest in that kind of play. I hadn't seen it in her, you know, and yeah. it's the kind of play that we give out to our children for not having, you know, why didn't you just go out and play? You know, like we used to in the 80s. Now we would have been out in the road and we'd be out all day. And, and I, I realized that we've never trained them to play like that because we're in their business the whole time, you know, and the reason there aren't gangs of kids hanging out together and and drawing like hopscotch with chalk on the middle of the road yeah. and going around in gangs and bikes is because we have taken over their diaries, you know, and they do their school work. They, they come home from school. Yeah. They're usually driven to Taekwondo or, you know, this training or that training or drama or whatever it is. And then at the weekends, everyone's driving here, there and everywhere. And there could be kids playing soccer, Gaelic and rugby all in the same weekend. And it, it was just really eye-opening to me that when actually you know this had nothing to do with the kids and their inability to play like they lived in the 1980s mm. it was the fact that once we stepped back and let them play then that's naturally what they did they naturally began to act like we did and they made go-karts and they built forts and they climbed trees and they cycled in gangs all the things we did because we weren't interfering anymore that's you know? so interesting isn't it and, and like obviously it depends on the ages of of uh, of the kids and what they're into and what they can do. Like for us, I thought our little fellow would miss the the playground so much, and he very quickly adapted to that not being part of the gig. You know, mm. so it was kind of like making daisy chains and feeding the ducks and out and about and bikes and the works and it was lovely. And uh, and you're right, I think they'll go with the flow, you know, and they'll enjoy it. Um, it's 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 probably a lesson for all of us, and maybe now when things start to 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 move back, I wonder will everyone be very quick to just jump back into the way it was? I don't know if they will be. 
No, and I, I don't think, you know, maybe it's just not workable for a lot of people. You know, the, the kids need to be doing stuff. And of course, they need to be doing sport and that. But I, I would hope that we would take some things from it. Like, yeah. how many parents have enjoyed having their own weekends back? How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yes. You know, being able to lie in bed, have a lie-in, you know, with the person that you married or that, that you've declared your love to so many times and you can actually have a lie in with them mm. as opposed to, you know, somebody dragging their arse out of bed at eight o'clock to drive to a match somewhere in another county. You know, like I would hope you know, there's a lot of people I would think will go, do you know what? Having our weekends back or at least part of them would be really nice. Mm. You know, mm. um, maybe, you know, little Timmy can you know, he can still do piano, but maybe we can knock the violin on the head and the, you know, the the Kempo martial art <laughs> stick training or whatever <laughs> they're doing. Like, do they need to be doing all of those things? And would it be so bad if they came out home from school and they did their homework and just went out to play on the road, you know, yeah, yeah. a few days a week? Is is that so bad, you know? Yeah. Um, so I would hope that we would take some of the things we've learned during the whole pandemic thing and and do it to just question the cluttering yes you know? yes yes do we really need this other appointment you know for our kids or for ourselves and and it's okay and i hope we've learned a little bit more now that it's okay to be doing nothing uh, because- i'd love the fact you said that because it's so important even to factor it in isn't it yeah, you know, as in, like, you know, as you said, schedules tend to, you know, they have been quite jam packed uh, before all this happened, and then and the virus came along and forced everybody to stop. And actually, 
the power of nothing, the power of doing nothing, of not having a plan and just going with the flow and being with it is is really, really important. And I think mm. people have I know loads of people who have felt like their appreciation for their life has just gone through the roof in this time because they've kind of started to tune in to what they have. Yeah. And in the process of just being, it's like, do you know what? It's pretty okay. My life is okay. Because mm. I think there's a, a misconception that doing nothing or relaxing is is passive. You know that it's a passive activity, mm. whereas not it, it's it's actually an uh, it's active in that, as you say, you have to put it in your diary. Yeah, yeah, but you are also actively present. You're actively doing something for yourself. Yes, you're saying this isn't like. Oh, I'm just going to waste the next hour. No, this is I am actively taking time for myself for healing, resting, um, creating mental space so that when I do return to activity, I will be better. I will, yes, there will be yeah. more energy. There will be a better version of me coming into that. You know, I follow this um, uh, crowd on Instagram called the nap ministry. And, and basically their Great entire name. account is dedicated to napping and resting and lying around and it's a really nice thing to have in your feed because it kind of reminds you, oh, yeah, yeah, I should probably just take 10 minutes to lie on the grass, you know, or if it's not raining, you know, or, <laughs> or just sit down, listen to my favorite album or, you know, or, yeah. or, or whatever it is that you want to do. But you have to get active on being inactive, if I can put it that way, because otherwise, like you say, your diary fills up and we're, we're so generous to work. We're so generous to stuff that we have to do, mm. you know, but one big eye opener for me was like, oh, how much stuff am I writing in my diary that's actually for me? Because there's always things for other people. At two o'clock, meet him. To four o'clock, meet them. You know, have that piece of work done for that project. And I realized, well, none of this is for me. It's all for other people. My entire week. So where's my bit? So I would go, right, you know, from from two o'clock till five o'clock on Wednesday afternoon, that's my time. And I, I can do whatever. And I, I am unavailable. You have to be like, I'm uncompromising because it will always be, uh, maybe we could do it on Wednesday. Would you be around Wednesday? And, you know, the old me would have gone, um, yeah, fine, we'll make it work. But I, I was I was constantly giving up my own time. Mm. And like it was it was a pick and mix at the cinema. Everyone just dip in and help yourself. So you have to kind of fence it off now, you know, like and a, honor yourself. Yeah. Like pick and mix post covid. Nobody getting in there now. <laughs> their grubby little hands. <laughs> Nobody having a secondhand jelly. Um, but yeah, so I, I, you know, I would encourage people to to have a look at, at how, you know, their their diaries, whether they're mental or, or physical or digital for the week and just see how much time you have allocated for yourself. And that doesn't mean that you have to be doing a strenuous activity or a gym class or whatever. It's just ring fence time for you. And even if it comes to that time and you still don't know how you're going to use it, that's fine. But it has to be non-negotiable. And it, you can't have people dipping in there with their grubby hands and taking it because it's for you, you know, yeah, yeah. And and, and you deserve it. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. And and it is hard for people when when, you know, there's kids involved and different demands. But it's so important to to prioritize that, mm. as you said, then you can be, you know, more fulfilled, more energized and more focused or more present when you give yourself that block of time to do whatever it is. And we all have our thing. You know, it's find mm. your thing. And even if it's sometimes it's it's like thinking back to you being a kid. What did I love when I was a kid? What really made me happy? Maybe just start doing that again. That might have been singing or, as you say, kicking about a ball mm. or whatever. Find that thing. It's amazing. You know, I get asked a lot and so do you. I know you do about meditation and 
oh, it's so hard and sure, how can I do it? And it's, you know, it's this mystical thing. What does it all mean? So I have answered it before um, through conversations or on Instagram, but I only did it last week where I did this one, these ask me anythings. And again, I had a flood of questions about meditation. Mm. How can I do it? Do I have to be sitting in this position? So you are a meditation teacher. Um, you talk about it a lot. You have fabulous guided meditations on your website. Um, you're going to be doing shows now in September and October as well. So can we just talk about the fact that meditation, number one, I suppose, it's not this weird mystical thing that is not accessible to everyone. It is accessible to everyone. Everyone can do mm. it. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, a lot of what I do is sort of demystifying the, the preconceived notions of what meditation is. You know, it's it is for everybody. It's not for, you know, the long haired Californian hippie types, you know, who, uh, you know, are sort of uh, friends with um, Russell Brand or any of that kind of thing. You know, it's not for religious cults. Uh, don't worry, you know, it can fit nicely in with whatever faith that you have. It's it's not going to interfere Our non-faith. with that. Exactly. Yeah. All it is like the way I can give my simplest definition of meditation is all meditation is, is focusing your mind on one thing. And when your mind wanders, which it will, you gently bring it back to what you were focusing on. That's it. Yeah. So that can be your breath. It could be music. It could be a candle. It could be um, a mantra, like a word or a phrase you repeat in your mind. It could be any of those things. So you don't need to be a part of any exclusive club. You don't have to pay any money. You don't have to sign up to anything. That is literally it. You don't have to sit with like a metal rod up your backside <laughs> with your knees you know, and legs twisted in the shape of a pretzel. You know, you just find a comfy place. That's it. I'm a big believer. My teacher, David G, always told me comfort is queen. If you're comfortable when you meditate, you're far more likely to come back and do it again the next day. You know, if you feel like, you know, somebody uh, has replaced your spine with a broomstick and, you know, you're sitting on hard ground, you're not going to come back and do it the next day, you know. Yeah. Um, now, the only thing I will say to that mm-hmm. is I not that I need to be uncomfortable. I don't need to be uncomfortable. But if I make myself too cozy, I can often drift off into sleep. Yeah. And so my struggle is staying with it. Yeah. Staying with it, staying with it, you know, and, and when the mind wanders, bringing myself back, that's 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 OK. But sometimes I, I'm just I'm so relaxed. And if I'm too cozy, I can just nod off. So sometimes I like to be sitting up so that I so that I can't. So if I if I fall asleep, I'm toppling over. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's what works for you. you exactly. Know? Um, Everybody's different. Yeah. Some people like to meditate sitting up in bed. That's called meditation. <laughs> and that will work, too. But again, the did more you make that word up as well. No, I didn't make that one. OK, up. that's a, That's a thing. Is it? Uh, yeah. Apparently. That's a new one. On <laughs> um, but yeah, if, if you are start to slouch, you know, you're slouching back and the more horizontally you are, the more chance you have of falling asleep. And a, a lot of people say that uh, as they say to you, you know, oh, I started meditating, but I just can't stop falling asleep when I do it. And my message to people would be to just be patient, because if you think about it, we haven't trained our bodies to do anything else when we relax. You That's know, it. our bodies are used to, you know, it's going, oh, oh, um, her eyes are closed. Um, she's lying down. That must mean uh, it's time for sleep. You know, so your brain goes, OK, turning out the lights here. Good night, everybody. Um, but when you practice meditation a bit more and it does require a little bit of practice you're basically training your body that there's another state to be in where your body is very relaxed 
you are very comfortable, uh, but your mind is alert. Yes. So it, it, they don't turn off the lights in the brain. So basically just be a little bit patient because that will come. And yeah. in the meantime, try not to do it, as you say, somewhere where that's so comfortable that you're going to end up falling asleep. Mm. And certainly if you lie down to do it, you might fall asleep. But that's fine at bedtime. A lot of people use meditations to fall asleep. Absolutely. And then of course Absolutely. you could do that. Yeah. And that's lovely when people do, if, especially if the, the brain is just firing and they can't switch off. Mm. And if, you know, if they listen to a guided meditation, that it does that for them and allows them to fall off sleep. That's brilliant. And I suppose it depends on, on what you're doing. And, and people wonder, like, you know, there are so many different ways in, I suppose. And you can do things like follow a guided meditation. So if you are struggling with the silence mm. of it, um, because a lot of people do struggle with the thoughts. And I know I did when I started. It was, you know, I'm far better now, obviously, where that's OK. And then you're bringing yourself back. But I used to get really worked up when when I found all these thoughts rushing into my mind. And instead mm. of just accepting them as OK, I get annoyed I get annoyed in the meditation and would bring up a lot of different emotions for me. So it's amazing how when I think back at what the way I was when I started and look, it's always a struggle in one way or another because there's always stuff happening in your life mm. that will have an impact on your meditation practice, I suppose, as well. But I do notice when I let it slide or if I let it slide and not in a good way. I remember it happened to me last year, um, early last year, and I wasn't doing so well. I had a lot of stuff going on in my life at the time. And uh, and and I just let it slide and I just slipped back into old patterns mm. and I was reactive and it wasn't good, you know, so I, I was like I was bitch slapped by the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I can know? I can totally relate to that. I, that's how I ended up becoming a teacher. I, I started meditating back in 2010 and I used to meditate quite regularly and then it sort of drifted off but then I was still telling people that I meditated when actually if I'd asked myself when was the last time you meditated it might have been a week before you know yeah and everything got in on top of me I was really stressed out my sleep was disrupted um you know I was just really struggling with confidence and everything seemed like an uphill challenge and it all seemed to just accumulate really quickly you know and because I, I had no, it's really important for me that I have tools like meditation for me to handle stress. I'm, I'm always a kind of a person who likes to be doing lots of things at the same time. If you are that kind of person, then you need to have stress management tools to stop you getting overwhelmed. And I, I because I stopped using the tool of meditation and other things like spending enough time in nature and, you know, playing enough golf, that golf is a big thing for my head. Um, and so it kind of developed as a, as a perfect storm and I really struggled. Now, as a result, I'm uh, afterwards, I'm really glad that I went through that phase because now in my teaching, if someone says to me, I'm waking up at 10 past three in the morning every night, freaking out about nothing. And, uh, you know, I don't know what to do. I've been there. Yeah, I know what it's like. So mm -hmm. at least I can I can empathize and, and give them some tips. So I'm glad I went through it. But it was a it was a really important reminder that you know, you need to keep these things ticking over. Certainly I need something like meditation. I need, again, to ring fence that time for myself. That's that self-maintenance. I mean, we do it for our cars. We get them serviced. You know, we do it for our phones. We remove apps and we, we update the software, but we're very slow to do it for ourselves, you know. Mm. So um, definitely, you know, if I let it slide, it's like if anyone listening goes to the gym or, or does regular exercise, you know that when you, you let that drift off and you don't do it very often, 
it takes a while, but then you realize Ugh, I kind of something's missing. I don't really feel myself. I want to get back yeah. to that vibrancy that I had. And it's very similar. Yeah. And it takes a while, I suppose, to adopt a new habit. So if people want to, you know, if they've never done it before and they want to try, go easy on yourself because it's it, it doesn't happen automatically. Mm. You're trying something maybe you've never done before. So it does require a bit of patience and a bit of discipline, I suppose, as well, you know, in setting up a habit that becomes a, a normal thing to practice in your day. Yeah. And a lot of people struggle with that. And if I ever ask, as I'm sure you do in your class, who who here has meditated before? And most of the hands will go up and you go, who here managed to keep meditating? And most of the hands go back down because a lot of us are crisis meditators, you know, yes. that, and it's perfectly normal that that would happen, that you do it for a while, then you forget about it. Then something big comes up in your life and suddenly you're sitting in the car going, oh, yeah, you know, trying to catch up <laughs> on a year's worth of missed meditation <laughs> sessions, you know. But, you know, again, you got to be OK and kind to yourself if that has happened to you. It's perfectly normal and very, very human, you know, and the fact that you're thinking about it all is is a positive thing. Yeah. You know? and, and you've said there to me a few times about um, about teaching and I'm not currently teaching at the moment, but I would have before years ago and you would have known that about me mm. and it wasn't something that I ever advertised um, when I did my yoga training and, and and I was doing that and mainly what I was doing was a chant class because mm. when I got into yoga and meditation and, and all of that I realized that for me it was sound now I know when I start talking about chanting people initially some people would just think that's for the birds and that sounds nuts yeah and but it, people sing you know the singing is chanting it just yeah. has some uh, words <laughs> whereas chanting just doesn't yeah yeah, yeah or, or sometimes it does but yeah no but you're right totally to and that that's it like as a kid at school like i was a choir geek i used to love singing so uh, it kind of stands to reason that you know it's 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 the as you said you find your thing you find what you like and sound music has always been mm. my way. And so it's it's my way of meditating, really getting. I never, ever not off when I'm chanting. I'm never not present when I'm chanting yeah. and I could do an hour, an hour and a half. Do you know what I mean? Whereas Amazing. when I'm when I'm sitting in silence now, I, I'm it's, it's I haven't done an hour and a half of chanting in, in a while. I'll be totally honest. But um, but what I'm saying is it's it's funny how. If somebody said silent meditation versus chant, I would always mm. pick chant because it just works for me. And it, it's it's a thing that I am. Um, anyway, if I go on to that conversation, we'll be here all day. So I, I, I won't go off on too much of a, ta a tangent. I do have a way of maybe people could connect to it. Like if you I don't know what it was like for you growing up um, in a spittle, whether you were dragged to the solemn novena at any time. Oh, yeah. So the novena, if anyone is, is familiar with that, it was like the religious festival at the time of the year. And people go in for as a kid, all you remember is like really, really, really long masses um, with really, really, <laughs> really long prayers. But, you know, we would all be familiar with maybe the old woman with the beads who would be like, yeah, I'm um, oh, mother God for us. There's now the other one. You know, and that's that's a chant. That's totally. chanting. Yeah, you know, totally. it's a form of meditation. And you wonder why these old people live forever you know, and they get such joy and comfort from that kind of prayer is because they're essentially chanting and they're using the vibrations of sound mixed with prayer, you know, and focused thought and that you can't get any closer to meditation. You know, Completely. Absolutely. I remember a few years ago, I did Loch Derg in Donegal 
as an experiment for the Sunday Independent. They asked me to do it, to write about it. So I was coming from a non-religious perspective. And when you say you did Loch Derg, is that like, sounds like it could have been a windsurfing school. <laughs> it's, <laughs> or it's, a swim. It's the, it's the three-day pilgrimage on the island where you don't okay. eat, you don't sleep, and you are barefoot for the three days. And you immerse yourself in prayer. It's really intense. You sure it wasn't just a really cheap package. <laughs> <laughs> a really bad tour operator. Oh, I get it. It's a pilgrimage. Yeah, yeah, it's a pilgrimage. Yeah, yeah. Now, to be mindful of those listening who have a deep faith and who do identify as as Catholic, you know, I'm not, I hope what I'm saying isn't triggering or upsetting, but I found it fascinating as an experience to participate in and to immerse myself in. And, uh, but, but exactly what you said, a big part of the thing is at nighttime. So you have to stay awake. You cannot nod off. It's part of the gig, right? And uh, so you're walking barefoot around the basilica and you're praying. So it, mm. it is that it is. And I was I was, you know, because I don't know my prayers in English. I was reared with all my prayers in Irish. So um, I do know them, but I don't know them as well. And it was interesting. I was kind of watching and listening and everybody was we're moving in unison. So that sense of community, that sense of tribe. And everybody is saying the same things, but everybody's really, really tired. And it's like four o'clock in the morning and it's, a, it's, just, a, it's just a hum. And it was mm. like, this is, is, is chant. It was absolutely chant and it was very soothing and it was very much like we were all in this together. And, and I totally get it. And when you break it down, look, it doesn't how matter. Was, how was that all? How was the whole experience? I'm, I'm fascinated by that. I don't know how I would cope with that lack of sleep. And I would imagine that I would turn into... Uh, was it Ian Wright on um, I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here just <laughs> kind of attacking everybody because I was so grumpy from lack of sleep. Um, how was the whole experience? It, it really was fascinating. Uh, I met lots of brilliant people, lovely people, but it, as an experience, I, I'm glad I did it. I wouldn't be jumping back now to do it again, mm. but uh, I understand why people feel a sense of, you know, being renewed after. It's like anytime you go off on a retreat or you immerse yourself in something different that switches you off from the outside world because you don't have your phone, obviously, or anything like that as well. But, I mean, you're going to feel great at the end of it when mm. you finally put your shoes on and you finally eat some food because you've been deprived of those things for the few days. So I'd be a little bit cynical in that, you know, did I feel closer to God? I felt closer to myself. Uh, I definitely connect with myself because a lot of time to think, a lot of time to, to be grateful and, and, and meditate. Um, uh, but it was it was tough. But as an experience, brilliant. And I met lovely people and the food tasted lovely afterwards and all of that. <laughs> I thought I'd, I'd really struggle. I love my food. I thought I'd struggle with the lack of food bit more, but I really struggled with the lack of sleep. Yeah. It was absolutely cruel. I think of it now. It was, you know, like clockwork oh, I, orange, like trying to keep your eyes open. I hope nobody drove home after it. OK, bye. And everyone drives into the wall. <laughs> but I know loads of people who've done it many times. Yeah. And then you hear stories about them sneaking uh, Mars bars in, and, you know. So David G, uh, I'd love if you spoke about him because uh, mm. when you talk about him and I've heard you talk about him in different podcasts and, and you've said it to me in person as well. He just sounds like a really cool guy and I know he's become a really good friend of yours. He has. Uh, he is the, for anyone who doesn't know, the chap who I studied meditation I, I, with and I suppose I... I first found him online and I really related to him because he was talking about a lot of the stuff that we're talking about on this today, stuff that I could, you know, relate to. But also he was using humor. He's very funny, you know, and the idea of being able to convey, you know, quite meaningful information, but using humor as as the lubricant to, to you know, to get the message across, I think I, I was really drawn to. And that's sort of my mission 
myself in any of the work that I do in this space is that I, I really want to combine my stand-up comedy skills, you know, my, my media training to, to try and get that message across to as many people as possible. So, I, yeah, I found him on the radio. He was just he had a, he was on a, a, a station called Hay House Radio, uh, hayhouseradio.com. And he just in this sort of sea of really Californian spiritual people, uh, he was just this breath of fresh air who just kind of took the piss out of himself and, you know, was able to laugh at himself and laugh at the whole spiritual community and all that, the things that go with it. Um, so I ended up, um, as I kind of touched on before, when I was struggling a bit and I was had gone away from my meditation a bit, mm. I decided that I was going to try and lean into the meditation. Uh, I knew it had worked for me, so I was going to double down on it, basically. And I thought a good way to do that would be to do a teacher training course, even though I had no intention of ever teaching it. So uh, the course took most of a year and it was online via Zoom and all that, I suppose, when we weren't doing much of that. Um, and then I went over to California and and studied with him over there. And How we, long? Um, oh, it was only for like 10 days. It kind of ra- it wraps up the it wraps up the whole the whole course. But it's it's very intense. You're, you know, from 6 a.m. till 10 at night, you're really in it, you know, and there's a, there's a big, big reading list that you do over the year. You got to do a paper and all that kind of stuff. So as well as sort of learning the nuts and bolts of meditation and the the eastern traditions and the science and all that kind of stuff you also cannot help but peel back a few layers on yourself and Mm. and you start to really do you do learn a lot about why you operate the way you do and why you think the way you do and all that so I, i think that helped me massively so by the time i i finished the course then for some reason by the time i got home i was like i really i really want to teach this this is this is something i want to bring to people and i I just loved the idea of bringing comedy to it because I was struggling a bit with the stand up comedy part because I just felt, you know, I kept getting those questions of why am I standing up here trying to make these strangers laugh? I doesn't it doesn't. Why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> you know, um, the sort of novelty had worn off. But when I added in a sense of purpose, a, a little bit more meaning, and I thought I could use, well, I can use these same tools and look at the same crowd. But actually, at the end of the gig, they're leaving with more than just a sense of having laughed for an hour. They're leaving with actual tools that they can take with them and, and some knowledge and, and real tangible things that they can bring into their lives on the way home. But also they've laughed their heads off. And, and mm. that was kind of, for me, that was really attractive. Like, I, I know that when I, when I came back, I did a, a comedy show in the Three Arena with Dave. We, we did a performance in the Three Arena. I was on a, with a load of other comedians as well. But... Um, for me, you know, for old me, that would have been, oh, my God, like a dream come true. The three arena, like thousands and thousands of people laughing. And we did it and it was it was fine. You know, I, I enjoyed it and it was cracked. But I was kind of looking forward to going home, watching telly after it. And then the same week I I taught meditation in an insurance company to 30 people, two of whom walked out halfway through. And afterwards, I was never so happy. I've never been so happy. I was so excited. It was I had that same buzz, if not more than after my first night of doing stand up comedy. And it just taught me that, you know, that's the space that I need to be in. That's the excitement that I need to be following right now, because it's allowing me to take all the skills I've learned over the last 20 years or so and combine it with this new knowledge that actually is bringing something to people. It's giving Mm. them something, you know, so. 
Um, and you used two words there, mission and purpose. Is, is this what you feel that your life was always leading you to? Um, I suppose that that's a kind of a grandiose statement because we're human and I could change my mind next year, you know, and then suddenly you're like, oh, I guess it wasn't my mission. And then you're disappointed <laughs> in yourself. I think for now, um, yes, yeah, sometimes I do have those thoughts. I'm like, OK, now I know why I did that really, uh, you know, awful gig somewhere because it, it was training me to be in this kind of a room, which was quite similar to that, actually. But now I'm talking meditation and, you know, so I, I do think. I'm using absolutely everything that I've learned so far and and yes, to some extent, but I, I am aware that, you know, things change, we change, you know, I might take another direction. I could become a professional skateboarder, uh, <laughs> just saying, <laughs> um, but certainly for now and even being able to weave it into my normal radio stuff, you know, when I get messages from our listeners saying, I tried your 16 second meditation last night, a game changer, got me back to sleep or whatever it was. Yeah. You know, when I can see it weaving into the general population, you know, and, and guys in particular who would you just know would not gravitate towards this kind of thing when you can see them starting to use it uh, without judgment or without cynicism, then I, I get such a great buzz out of that more so than if I'm standing telling jokes in front of thousands of people, you know, Yeah, because I know it's important to to connect with with men because unfortunately for whatever reason when it comes to when it comes to meditation oftentimes when you're giving talks it's uh, sometimes the attendees can primarily be female and that men in the room are less at the moment uh yeah there's no denying it i mean if if you've ever gone to a talk or you know anything like that usually the ratio is sort of 94 women six men you know <laughs> um and you know i just suppose a lot of it is women are just more open to talking about deeper stuff i think on a day-to-day -day level and um, I suppose as well, if you are in, sorry if I couldn't cross yeah. you, but if you are doing a meditation or guiding somebody or people through meditation, it does require, you know, it, it demands vulnerability from the person who is maybe participating to be okay with maybe just closing their eyes and yeah. being silent and following somebody's direction. And that is maybe a step. It's a big step, maybe, for somebody who hasn't done it before. Yeah, but I think it's changing. You know, I suppose it mightn't have been seen as a, as a manly pursuit. What am I doing that for? Sure, I might as well have a point. You know, that, that's kind of been where we were. And I think that's changing. And obviously, we're generalizing as well. Oh, completely. There are plenty of people and men that are big into it. Hugely. And that's why yeah. I think male voices are important in, in this arena as well. I mean, if you look at the Headspace app, you know, that's led by a man. And I think yeah. that was a very functional non-fluffy way for a lot of people to get into meditation you know and uh, are, are the likes or just start to have those conversations with themselves you know I, I think men are probably more prone to reaching crisis point and then seeking help than women I think women tend to sort of head themselves off of the pass a bit sooner you know mm. um, but like the difference it can make I, I got a, a lovely message from a guy um, and he was thanking me for the 16 second meditation um, that he had picked up along the way from the stuff that I was doing. Yeah. Um, but for him, he had said the biggest change it had made to him was that he was singing in the shower again. Oh, that's cool. And, you know, that may sound like a small, trivial thing, but for him, no. that was a representative a representation of how he felt himself. Yeah. That he knew that if he was singing in the shower, he's a happy-go-lucky guy yeah. and that's his normal. 
And suddenly he had realized that through the weight of lockdown and financial strain and, you know, loss of his job, there was lots of things going on. He had stopped singing in the shower mm. and it was very upsetting for him because he felt like he was losing contact with himself. Um, but he had heard me blathering on about the 16 second meditation. So we thought, I'm not usually into this stuff, but your man seems all right. So I'll try the six. It's only 16 seconds. seconds yeah. So we started doing it and he did it for two weeks literally a 16 second meditation and he contacted me the day that he had started singing in the shower again because he just caught himself and he went oh my god I'm singing in the shower again I feel like myself and his whole relationship with his kids and his wife and everything changes he said his kids noticed that he was happier um you know so I, I really hope that people and men in particular realize that it does take very little to have a really positive change, you know, because yeah. they're the small things in our lives that we see as markers that that show us who we really are and uh, us at our best. And sometimes those things can disappear over time, you know, with kids and jobs and all those things. One by one, the stuff, that, the little things that we used to do can disappear and we can lose contact with ourselves. So it can just take something small to reintroduce yourself to yourself mm. and suddenly you could be singing in the shower again and that ripple effect goes out into all the people around you you know it goes into your work as well and what version of you turns up at that so um, it is reassuring to know that it doesn't take too much now for those listening who are thinking what is the 16 second meditation um, it's breathing and it's breathing with numbers. Can you literally just maybe talk us through it now? Sure. So people realize how simple it actually is to mm. bring awareness to your breath. Sometimes this is called square breathing and there's mm. a few other terms for it. Uh, the 16 second was one that I learned from my teacher, David G. And it was one of the ones that clicked with me. And I went, well, look, this yeah. is easy. I can handle this much. You mm. know, there's not I, I don't have to do anything crazy. I can do it wherever I am. So the idea is that you're breathing in to a count of four. Yeah. And then you hold that breath in your belly mm. to a count of four. And then you gently let that breath go to a count of four and then you hold that breath out to a count of four. So we can we can do a quick one here. Would mm. you like to do that? Yeah. OK, so for all of you who are listening, get nice and comfortable wherever you are. If you're driving, obviously do not close your eyes, um, but it is something you can do while you're driving with your eyes open if you can and you can do it safely. So let's start by just giving ourselves a nice, long, slow, deep breath in. So we're going to breathe in through our nose. And try and feel that breath going down into your belly. And then gently let that go. So let's just do another one of those nice, long, slow breaths. And if you like, you can put a hand on your belly. So we're breathing those nice, long breaths into our down into our lungs. So when you're ready, take a nice, long, slow, deep breath in. Feel your belly expand underneath your hand. Hold it there for a second. And then gently let that breath go. That's really good. So you're starting to relax now. Your stress hormones are calming down. Your heart rate is slowing. Your blood pressure is lowering. And we're going to do our 16 second meditation now. So remember, the idea is we're going to breathe into a count of four. We're going to hold it in for four. We're going to let it out for four. And then we're going to hold that breath out for four. So I'll count. So you needn't worry about the counting. So when you're ready, take a nice, long, slow, deep breath in through your nose and down into your belly. Two, three, Four. I'm going to hold that breath there in the belly. Two, three, four. Now watch that breath go back out to a count of four. 
three, four. Now hold that breath out for another four. Two, three, four. Now just breathe normally. Just breathing normally. And when you feel it's comfortable and it's safe to do so, you can open your eyes. So that is a 16 second meditation. Yeah. And it is a very, very useful tool because it has all the wonderful benefits of meditation, like we mentioned, but you can use it anywhere. It's like the to go version. Mm. And I use it in if I'm queuing, which we're doing a lot of at the moment because yeah. if everywhere has a queue, you can do it if you're trying to fall asleep. You can do it if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're having difficulty getting back to sleep, if your mind is whirring away. And it's a very easy one to do with kids. Yeah, um, big time. Yeah, so you can all pile into the bed under the duvet and just do a few 16 seconds and kids are very receptive to it. So I think it's just a really neat little tool that you can bring with you anywhere. It's lovely. That was lovely. Isn't it lovely when somebody guides you as well? I yeah. really enjoyed that. Uh, I'm a very heavy breather though, so... <laughs> Just, just it just means you're in the I, moment. I was a bit Darth Vader over here <laughs> with the old breathing. Uh, no, it was great. Uh, and that's the thing. Yeah, you've been washing the dishes. I'm doing anything. Just bring in a little moment of awareness and just a little gift to yourself. And it's it just kind and of free. sets us. Of course it is, yeah. And as you say, guided meditations are a nice one. They're, you know, if people are a bit anxious about starting off and are a bit... Um, maybe overwhelmed or intimidated by the whole thing of meditation. Even the word can kind of frighten people a little bit. You know, guided meditation is a bit like having the stabilizers on a bike. Mm. You know, you, you know, you can just hop on there and someone is going to you'll, you'll be guided, you know, um, literally. So I, I think that's always a nice place to start. And you have some lovely ones, your own guided meditations on your website. I do. Yeah. On DermotWhelan.com, I have ones for anxiety and a worried mind, beginner's meditation, a morning meditation. Um, there's a few more. I've also just put up uh, one that is one for bringing us closer together. Um, and that was really important for me to do with all the the stuff we've been seeing on the news. It, that all kicked off with George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. And I suppose it focused our attention on our own communities and the way we look at black people and people of color, um, you know, and people just not from Ireland, um, you know, as well in our own communities. And I, I think it's nice to have some exercises that we can do um, ourselves just to kind of, I suppose, bring ourselves to start the process of feeling that empathy and kindness towards people in our own communities who are feeling marginalized, are abused, are just outsiders, you know. Yeah. So um, that's the last one I put up and, and that one's really important to me. Brilliant. Good on you. But I, I think the days of us just hiding and saying sugar grand we're the country of a thousand welcomes you know well we got to go out and earn that title now because clearly we're not yeah you know we have we're the second highest rate of racial attacks in europe you know mm. and that's not the land of a thousand welcomes i'm sorry whatever way you look at that, it's just not not true you know and for for irish people black irish people to have to constantly explain and defend their Irishness is unacceptable, you know, Yeah. and to constantly grill people where they're from or, or their ancestry just because their skin is a different color that, you know, that's not acceptable. And I've realized I definitely have done that in the past, sort of. And you, you think, well, I'm showing interest, you know, and you're asking someone from Blanchardstown, you know, 
well, where, where were your grandfather? And basically what you're subconsciously saying is, well, why are you black? Why are you a different color to me? Mm. You know, they don't have to explain themselves, you know. Uh, but yeah, and I, I, I think even that's not that we're bad people. Our, our, my intentions were good, you know, but they were just misdirected. So I think it's a great opportunity and it's not to start getting hammering people or making people feel guilty or, or shameful about it. It's just a, a, actually a very positive opportunity for us all to examine, you know, how we interact with people of color or black people. And actually, do we interact with them at all? Are we yeah. just keeping ourselves in our little bubble and allowing these systems that are built around us that we're part of to treat these people very badly so um you know i think it's a it's a good positive time to to work with everybody in our community and just look at our own behavior definitely because we're lucky because we we get the opportunity to look at it and study it and do better rather than live through it so you can only begin to imagine how triggering and how uncomfortable this time is if you are black whereas yes it might be uncomfortable for us now because we're looking at our own part in all this and our mm. behaviors but tough like do you know what i mean we haven't had to live through it no and i but i also think it's okay like we need a space like i'm sure in this conversation i have said words or used phrases that you know maybe black people are thinking oh god that's more of a see the way he phrased that like i i, I we have to be able to be okay with ourselves getting it wrong and being clumsy. Yeah, I agree. It. I agree. And and I think the sort of thing online of, you know, someone who says, uh, puts up something well-intentioned, but phrases it badly, is immediately shut down and called this, that and the other. You know, that doesn't help. You know, we, we do need an arena that is safe for us to navigate and mess up and for someone, you know, a person of color to correct us and say, you know, the way, by the way, I know you didn't mean anything by it, but the way you phrased that, that's actually quite insulting or, or harsh or, you know, makes me feel uncomfortable. Then we have to be, go, okay, great. But we, we need to give each other the space to learn the things we need sides. to learn now. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm talking about white people attacking other white people. You know, we, we need, everyone needs to give each other the space mm. now to really learn here, you know, without name calling and and branding each other this that or the other because this is the only way we're going to be able to learn if we have the space to do that thankfully we're talking about things like direct provision now and you know there there are things happening in your communities that maybe you have haven't paid a bit of notice to because it just wasn't in your sphere but you know direct provision is one of those things it's on our watch and it's not good enough and hopefully there's going to be major changes around that but yeah there's somewhere that we can start you know for sure and then beyond mm. um Dermot, thank you for this uh, thank you are you going to head off on your skateboard i um i don't have my skateboard now <laughs> today because i learned that when you skateboard on wet or greasy roads uh you fall off okay. so <laughs> i ain't doing that today has that been sure. a painful learning uh it was one very painful learning okay. yeah yeah um so <laughs> helmet and pads people <laughs> thank you so much this has been brilliant really appreciate it thank you sheila Well, there it is. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And if you want to get in touch with Dermot or you want to hear more of his gorgeous guided meditations, simply go to his website, DermotWhelan.com. And if you enjoy this particular episode, spread the word, tell your family, tell your friends. And if you can, please take a moment to rate, review and hit subscribe. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to Ready To Be Real Conversations.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.